0: really have been looking forward to this and I pray that God will give me the strength that I need. Um, I am going to do a little preaching here before I get into what I really want to do this morning and in fact I just just had a little thought, you know I I don't really like for you to be sending text messages during church but um, I'm going to make a little exception here. In, in, in a few moments, Lord willing, I, I'm going to I'm going to be giving my personal testimony and and I'm going to tell you that as I started putting things on paper, God God brought things to my remembrance that I honestly had forgotten all about. In fact, I've made some statements lately that the Lord proved me wrong. Um, I've been saying lately, I don't know anybody that was praying for me to be saved. And as I started putting my story down in my notes, the Lord started reminding me of some things. And um, there's just quite a story here that I, I marvel at how good God has been to me. And so, here's what I want you to do before I ever get started. If there is somebody right now that you think is not in church somewhere, that you think could be touched by the story of a young man who knew nothing about God, but God's grace reached down. And there's several factors, several people involved in this story that God just had mercy on and there, there's a lot of things here that I see where God could use this story to touch a lot of hearts. If there's somebody on your heart right now that you think maybe is not in a service, if you could get your phone out and just send them a text and send them a link to newlifepc.com listen and ask them to join us. And tell them that in just a few moments, I'm going to be relating a story that you think will be of interest to them. And I just, I just felt that. I've never done this. Brother and Sister Hilton, you can testify. You've been here all 20, almost 25 years. I've never, ever done this. And I never, ever promote my own preaching. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm just going to tell you, I was moved by my own story. And I think some other folks will be as well. And I'm going to, I'm going to preach to you a little bit before I ever get to that point. And um, the fact is, there, there was even a story I, I had never, I don't think I'd ever told anybody. And just a couple of days ago, I related it to somebody uh, and realized, I realized last night, I had never even told my wife last night on the phone I told her for the first time she had never heard the story Uh, it's it's amazing to me what God has done and and I'll say this again when I know others may be listening but some of it's gonna sound pretty far out there really is but I promise you I'm telling the truth I fear God too much to stand behind this pulpit and make up wild stories but it, it really is God. It's God's in it. And, and that's the only way I know to relate it. And, and really, where I'm going to have to stop today for time's sake. I was telling Brother Goff some things last night that happened just after this story ends. But I don't have time to tell you today. That the miracles just continued and the amazing pieces that God continued to put together my wife told me last night Said one of these days it's going to have to be another book you write (laughs) and that may be the case just to give God the glory Um, I don't know but anyhow I was just trying to give you a little time there if there's somebody on your heart that you think might be touched by this encourage them and let them know hey I'm sitting in church right now but my pastor's getting ready to tell a story that I think you might enjoy hearing. And um, we'll see what God does. We'll see what God does. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Because you know me, I'm, I'm not going to preach to you without giving you some scripture, right? So, and, and let me say too, while you're turning to Luke 19, thank you to all of you who took the time in the previous week to give your testimony because really that's what stirred me up so much to take the time to write mine down. And it is an amazing thing when we start hearing what God has done in the lives of others. And you know, I, I know years ago I encouraged this church write down your testimony. It's been years since I've done it. But I want to do it again. I want to just tell everybody, I don't care if you were raised in church, write down, you'll be surprised if you really start thinking about the way God has put things together. I think you'll be amazed at how God has orchestrated things to bring you to the moment where you are right now. And you'll see that even even if where you are right now may seem dark, it may seem difficult, I think if you'll write down your story, you'll understand a little better that even this dark, undiscernible moment is directed by the hand of God and He's got a plan in it. Because that's the way He works. It's the way He works. He doesn't do anything by accident. I'm telling you, he, you know, I I, I hope I'm not wasting time, but I am a horrible chess player. I'm just horrible at it because I don't have the patience to sit down and plan a move. I just say, okay, this guy will go here. So, you know, and my opponent laughs and, King me, you know, I mean, whatever. I, no, that's checkers, isn't it? Whatever. I mean, you see, I told you I'm terrible. I'm terrible at chess. You know, he'll it, 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 move and say, checkmate. I mean, it's, yeah, that's it. So, I mean, I'm just terrible at it because I just, I, I'm i not, I just don't have, I don't have the patience in a game to sit here and plan out 15 moves ahead. But I'm just telling you, with God, he's got every, he knows he knows what the opponent is going to do. He knows how the opponent is going to respond to his move. And he's already planned his counter move. Are you hearing me today? He's got it set up. He's setting the enemy up for the final checkmate. It's, it's, it's just the way it and I just stand today humbled and awed that somehow God put me into that plane, and he put you in that. The fact that you're here, God found a place for you in His great master plan. And that makes you important. It gives you significance. All right, I got to get through this. I got to get through this. I'm going to have a tough time today. I'm just telling you now. I'm going to have a tough time maintaining my emotions. But we're going to get there. Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before her and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. I want you to notice this, as we, you know, as Sunday school kids, uh, as Sunday school kids, we 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 learn the story about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? But that's about all we know. Uh, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see, you know, but but we don't really know a whole lot more. But I want you to pay attention to what really happens in this story. Jesus called Zacchaeus down and he said today not I must talk to you but I must abide at thy house and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully when they saw it they all murmured saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I am going to title this today, When Salvation Comes to Your House. He told Zacchaeus, today I must abide at your house. And then he said in verse 9, this day is salvation come to this house, when salvation comes to your house. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your voices, lift your hands, let's ask God to help us today, and would you ask him to speak to anybody and everybody that's listening today, whether in person or online, I want God to have his way today and touch hearts. Let's let's talk to the Lord. Oh Lord, to rest upon me today. God, I ask for special strength and special grace. Oh God, as I minister to this congregation, God, Lord, help me to feed the flock of God. Lord God, the day I pray. Lord, would you save souls as a result of this message today? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. name, in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I am asking you, church, that because I am just a bit physically weak, would you make up the difference by worshiping a little bit more responsively than what I'm putting forth? Would you act like I'm just really on fire today? (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, act like I'm some 20-year-old evangelist that's just uh stomping and jumping and spitting all over himself and everybody else and 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 it act like it's the most exciting thing you ever heard and that'll help me to get through this a little better all right w- would you do that for me would you do that for me i mean i'm inside i'm putting forth that much effort right now you just can't see it on the outside all right it's taking that much strength but i'm you, you just it's just not visible The scripture setting here that that I've read is an interesting one. As I said, it's familiar to most of us. But there's some things that I'm not sure we know about Zacchaeus. We, as I said, we know he was a wee little man. But there's so much more here than just the fact that he was short of stature. I want to show you, read for me, Brother Goff, verse number 3. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. Now look at this. He sought to see Jesus who he was. First of all, this man was curious. He'd heard some things about the master and he just wasn't sure. But he wasn't going to write him off. He wasn't just going to say, no, that's not the case. He said, I'm going to at least check it out for myself I, I i'm not gonna predetermine what's right and what's wrong until i've had a chance to at least go and see for myself well hallelujah there's some wisdom in that my friends There's a whole lot of folks that have written off Pentecostals. They've written off apostolics based on what they've heard about us. But let me just tell you, come and check us out for yourself. You might be surprised at what you find. We might not be quite as crazy as you think we are. And you might just like what you feel once you get here. Praise God. Amen. It may not be conventional, but Jesus wasn't conventional. The very fact that he's talking to Zacchaeus said he wasn't conventional. Zacchaeus wasn't exactly the cream of the crop. He wasn't exactly uh, the most popular celebrity in Israel. Amen. Um, We'll talk about that maybe in a minute. The second thing we see about him in verse 4, read. And he ran before
1: and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. Now
0: this is interesting. Here's a man, not only was he curious, this man had a real desire. He was desirous. He was desirous enough that when he got there and saw that the crowd was too thick, that there were too many people and he being short of stature, he could easily have said, well, no way for me to get to him. I might as well just forget about it. Nobody wants to give me passage through here. They don't like me. They, they've rejected me. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. That made him a traitor to his people. He was a Jew who was working for his captors. He was working for the Roman government. Uh, that, that was, that was uh, uh, keeping the Jewish people in captivity and so he was a traitor so the Jewish people are not going to just clear a path and let Zacchaeus through he was short it would have been easy for him to see the crowd and say well not much hope for me but this man had enough desire that he said I don't care what's standing in my way I'm gonna find a way I want to find out about this man Jesus and I am going to find a way to do it You know, it's one thing for a tall man to climb a tree. It's usually a lot easier for a tall man to reach up to a limb and to get his legs positioned on another limb. But a short man, it's going to take a little more work, I know, firsthand. I know what it's like. I'm going to tell you, it takes a little bit more work for a short man to get up that tree. But here's Zacchaeus. He said, I don't care. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it costs. I've got enough desire on the inside of me. I am going to find out about this man called Jesus. And verse 6 tells us something about him. Read. Read. And he made haste and came down and haste received him and joyfully. He received him. He received him. He was not only curious and desirous; he was receptive. Amen. Now this is this is important because I've had a lot of folks show up for church that were curious and they were desirous, but. When they saw it and they felt it, they weren't quite so ready to receive it. But the Bible says about Zacchaeus that when the Lord spoke to him, he didn't, just, he didn't just receive him, but he received him joyfully. He was glad that the Lord called him. He was glad that the Lord spoke his name. He was glad that the Lord invited himself over to the house of Zacchaeus. Hallelujah. And then look at at what happens next here. Verse number 8. And
1: Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I have given to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold.
0: Now, let me tell you, this man was curious. He was desirous. He was receptive. Most importantly, he was repentant. He was repentant he said, "Lord, I'm going to make things right." see this was this was a habit of tax collectors um, now I'm going to leave that alone. Um, they, they like to take more than was their due. they like to assess extra taxes that really weren't necessary. they like to put a few extra fees on the tab and then they'd pocket what the government wasn't really requiring. But here Zacchaeus said, look, I know I've been wrong. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to excuse myself. I know I've been wrong. And Lord, I want you to know I feel bad about it. In fact, I feel bad enough. I am going to turn around and I'm going to take half of everything I've got and I'm going to give it to the poor. And plus with the half I've got left, I'm going to look through. And if I've taken anything by false accusation I'm returning it to the person that it belonged to. Lord this is not a fake repentance. These are not crocodile tears. I'm not having jailhouse repentance here. This is not a show for the crowd. I want you to know this is genuine. I am sorry. I am repentant before you. And as a result of this kind of attitude the Bible says in verse 9,
1: and Jesus, Jesus said, unto him, said to him, this day this is salvation, day comes is to this salvation
0: house. come to this house. I like that. I like that. The fact that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want to tell you something. I'm here today not just for you. But I've got a bigger plan than what you even realize. See, Zacchaeus, when I started down this road to Jericho, I knew you were going to be in that tree. In fact, let me just tell you something. You can can call me crazy if you want to, but I don't believe it was an accident that there just happened to be a tree with limbs low enough for Zacchaeus to get up them and get to the place where he could see Jesus and Jesus could see him right at that very moment. I want to tell you, I believe that God I serve had planted that tree centuries before knowing there's a day coming when a short little man I've got plans for him and not just him I got plans for his whole household I'm going to do a work through that man and I am working right now I'm going to make sure there's a seed that starts germinating right here it's going to take a long time for this sycamore tree to get where it needs to be but it's going to be in place and it's going to be strong and the limbs are going to be right and when Zacchaeus gets there he's going to be able to climb up and he's going to see me and I'm going to see him oh hallelujah now, if you don't think God's big enough to do that you need a little bigger vision of God amen I'm telling you that, that Jesus wasn't just looking at Zacchaeus that day although that may have been all his natural eyes saw at that moment, he clearly said to him, this day, this day, salvation's come to this house. Now, now look, if he didn't plan on saving that entire family, and I ask, why did he say what he did? Back up to verse 5. You might have noticed we skipped over verse 5. As I'm going through this list of things here, but go back to verse 5 and read that for me. Listen to what Jesus says.
1: And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus make haste, make haste and come down. And come now. For today I must for abide today, at thy house.
0: I must abide at thy house. Now I want to ask you, if Jesus didn't have plans for Mrs. Zacchaeus and little Zach Junior and Zachina And whoever else was there, if he didn't have plans for that whole family, why did he have to go to their house? Why didn't he just take care of business right there in the middle of the road and save that man? No, no, my friend. I'm telling you, the vision that Jesus had that day was much bigger than just one individual. I'm telling you, it wasn't going to stop with just Zacchaeus. He said, I'm going to save this man, but I'm also going to save his household. I'm gonna save his family. I've got a job to do, not just in one individual. I'm bringing salvation to an entire household. Oh, hallelujah! I, I, I just, I just believe that most of the time, most of the time, genuine conversion doesn't stop with just one individual. Most of the time, God's not just looking at one person. I know there are some exceptions, but most of the time, I believe when God reaches down and saves somebody, he's not just looking at them, he's looking at their house. He's looking at their whole family let me give you just a couple more examples before i get in to my own story let's let's talk about a man that we talk about a lot around here we talked about him a lot at truth conference acts chapter 10 but i don't know if we've really pointed out this one little fact about what happened there acts chapter 10 start reading with verse 1 let me catch my breath and get a little fluid in me here you just read for a few minutes and I'll see how long I can refrain myself.
1: Read. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do.
0: Now, now look, as, as, as apostolics, a lot of times that's kind of where we stop with this story and then we jump down to the end and talk about once Peter gets there and what happens. Right, right. But, but I want to I call your attention to just a couple more verses. Rather than stopping at verse 6, I want to read just two more verses. Read verses 7 and 8, Brother Goff. And when the angel
1: which spake unto Cornelius, was departed, spake
0: unto Cornelius was departed, he called,
1: two, he of his called household servants, two
0: of his household servants
1: and a devout soldier of them uh-huh, that waited on him continually. Uh-huh. And when he had declared all these things unto them,
0: and when he declared these things unto them,
1: he sent them to Joppa. He
0: sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius starts spreading the word. Among those within his household it didn't just stay a secret among Cornelius. Alright? Now, now let's go to our favorite part of this story, jumping down to verse number forty four. But again, let's pay attention to something I think we kind of breathe over it or, or, or rush over. Read. Start verse forty four. While Peter yet, While spake, Peter these yet words, spake these words, the Holy Ghost now, fell now, on now, all now, of them. Now, wait, wait, wait. The Holy Ghost fell on all. Not just on Cornelius. Right. Not just on one man sitting there. <laughs> right. It wasn't in this case that Peter was preaching to one man sitting off by himself. But Cornelius has got a group together. And the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Read.
1: And they of the circumcision, they of the circumcision which, believed, which believed were
0: astonished. As, as many as came with Peter. Peter because because it on, on the Gentiles, Gentiles also was poured, the was poured out the gift of the, of the Holy, Holy Ghost. For they he heard them speak, speak with tongues and magnify, and magnify God. God. Then, then answered Peter, Can any
1: man forbid, man forbid water? water? That, that these, these should, not be, should baptized, not be baptized which
0: have received receive the Holy, Holy Ghost as, as well as we. we. And he commanded. And he them commanded, to no, wait a minute. And he commanded not him. Right. Them. He commanded them to be baptized.
1: In the name in of the, the Lord. In the
0: name of the Lord.
1: Then, then prayed, prayed they prayed him, they him
0: to tarry certain things days i submit to you today it wasn't just cornelius that received the holy ghost spoke in tongues and was baptized in jesus name now in case you doubt then let's listen when peter has to come back and answer for what he did remember now remember there's a lot of prejudice in the early church we're not the first generation to deal with prejudice Oh, it got quiet on me all of a sudden. Oh, no. I know you guys haven't run out of energy. I'm telling you, you you'll, you'll run out of here like wild bulls when it's time to get to the restaurants. I know you got energy. Now, now, we're not the first generation to have to deal with prejudice. There was a lot of prejudice in the early church. Those Jews were prejudiced against the Gentiles here goes Peter to the house of a Gentile. And for the first time in the history of the church, baptizes a Gentile in Jesus' name. And I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of Jews in the church didn't like it. And they called Peter into question. And this is Peter. I mean, he's one of the 12. In fact, he's more than that. He's one of the three. I mean, this is the man with the keys of the kingdom. And they're calling him into question. So he said, well, let me just tell you the story. So Acts chapter 11, he's having to tell the story of what took place. And this is what he says. This is Peter's testimony of what happened. Listen to this, Acts 11 verses 13 to 15.
1: And he showed us how he had seen an angel
0: in his house. Now, Peter is telling the Jews, this is what Cornelius said. Cornelius showed us that he'd seen an angel in his house. Which stood and said and it to him. And the angel stood and said to him. Send men to Joppa. Send men to Joppa. And call for Simon. And call for Simon. Whose surname, whose is, whose surname Peter. is Peter. Now, watch this next verse. Listen to this. Who shall tell thee words, words whereby, whereby thou, thou and all, and thy, all house thy house shall be, shall be saved. For whatever reason, Luke didn't record that part of it in Acts 10, but but he made sure it got into Acts chapter 11. I'm going to tell you when the angel spoke to Cornelius, he was letting him know right then, this is not just about you. This is not just about an individual. I'm not just looking at one man. I know you're the one that's been praying. I know you're the one that said, Up the memorial, but I want you to know, Cornelius. I'm looking beyond you. You got Mrs. Cornelius, you got Cornelius Jr., you got all these kids. I'm gonna tell you, I'm looking beyond just you. I'm looking at a family, I'm looking at a whole household, I'm looking at your servants, I'm looking at the soldiers that wait on you, I'm looking at a whole household. And that's when he says in verse 15. And as I, began, as to I speak, began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell the Holy Ghost on them. Fell on them as on now, wait, 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 on them. When he uses this word them, that pronoun has to refer back to what was just said. And what was just said was all thy house. So the Holy Ghost fell on all the house as on us at the beginning. Just one more, all right? Because if we learned anything at Truth Conference, We learned out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. If you didn't learn that, you didn't go to truth conference. You might have been here, but you weren't here. So, third witness, and then my story. Acts 16. Acts 16, and again, I'm going to catch my breath, pace myself a little bit here. And thank God for a good reader. Acts 16, start with verse 25. And at
1: midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Uh-huh. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, Believe
0: on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, look, look, most churches just stop right there. He says, what must I do to be saved? And, 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 and Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And That's all they want to talk about. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but Paul didn't stop there. And I, you know, I, I, I have explained this so many times. But what I want to say today is the next part of that sentence is important to what I'm trying to get across today. Right. Jesus, uh, Jesus. Paul is the first man to go to Macedonia Philippi to carry the gospel. So so understand, he's breaking new ground. He's in a country where the gospel's never been carried. And he's talking to a man that's never heard anything. And so you don't just walk up to a man that's never heard anything and say, repent and be baptized receive the Holy Ghost. There's a starting place. This man probably believes in false gods. So before I can even tell you how to be saved, you're going to have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's where we got to start. we got to have a common ground to start with. And if you'll believe that, you're going to end up being saved. And in fact, Paul says... You're not the only one, because right. if you believe what I'm going to tell you, God is about to do a work, Mr. Jailer, right. not just with you, but with Mrs. Jailer right. and Jailer Junior. Right? And what I say, and Jalina. I'm telling you, God looked at a man, and God prompted that preacher. And said, understand this, Paul, I sent you to this city to start a church. I sent you to this city to start a church. And this is where it's starting. I'm giving you right now, not just a man, but a family. You're going to be saved and your house. Now, read on. And they spake
1: unto, they him, spake unto him the, word of the, the Lord, word of the Lord and to all that and
0: were in his house. Listen, and they didn't just speak to him, but he got all of his family up out of bed. He got the children out of bed. He got the wife out of bed. He got everybody up and said, hey, it's time to get up. We're about to have church in here. And the preacher started preaching. And he preached not just to the jailer, but to everybody in the house. And then what happened? And he took, he them took them the same, the same hour, hour of the night, night and, washed and the he stripes, washed their stripes and, and then he got his sins washed. Yes. He was baptized, and but he, not just him, he but and he and all, and all of his, his whole family got baptized the same night. Read. And when he had and brought he had them brought into, him his, into house, his house, he set me before, before him and rejoiced, and rejoiced believing in God with all his, his house. That's what I'm preaching to you today. When God starts a work, He doesn't just start it in an individual. God's not just looking at you. God's looking at your family. God's looking beyond just you. He sees somebody else. He sees others around you. He sees those you're going to impact. He sees those you're going to influence. Oh, let's thank God. Let's thank God. Let's thank God. Be seated, because I may have to in a minute. And you think I'm kidding. I'm not. All right. Let me tell you. I can preach this message. Because I can tell the story firsthand. I know, Brother Goff, that God works this way firsthand. I know what he does, because he did it for me. Now I wanna say again, just in case anyone has tuned in late, I wanna say again that some of what I'm about to tell you is gonna sound really far-fetched. It's gonna be hard for some folks to believe and accept, but I promise you before God, I'm not making one word of this up. It happened. Just like I'm about to tell it to you. God's been good to me. He's been so good to me. And let me tell you also that much of the story that I'm about to relate to you, or at least maybe not much of it, but there are elements of the story. I should say it that way. There are elements of this story that I didn't know until after God saved. All right, everybody understand that? There are things that I didn't find out until, in some cases, years after God saved me before I learned some facts that I'm going to share with you today. Um, Because, for one thing, one of the things that I learned years after, I didn't know. My story of salvation actually began before I was even born because what happened in my family really, I believe, is the direct result of an incident that took place with my older brother when he was an infant and it was before my birth, all right? when 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 my older brother Curtis was was just a small child just just a, a tiny infant and this would have been in the in the late 1950s i, I know i know young people you think we were wearing loincloths and living in caves and riding dinosaurs but that's that's it's not quite that far back, but, but um, things were a lot different back then. They were a lot different. And my, my older brother, as an infant, became very, very ill. And he was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. And even today, it, it can be extremely serious. Um, in fact, I was doing a little bit of research in preparation for this message and, and saw, you know, they said most cases now, um, if, if you get there quick enough, they can treat it and it's no problem. But, but if you don't, it still can be very, very dangerous and even fatal. But things were a lot different in the 1950s. And, and there wasn't near the ability to... to um, get a hold of things as quickly and even some of the treatments available today were not available then and i'm just telling you that in that situation there was very little hope for my brother now my family and this is this is maybe insignificant but but it does play a little part in in this story but my family uh, was living in indiana all of my family is from indiana and, and they were living in Indiana. And, and my, my parents, my dad, by the way, and I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. Anybody that's listening, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just telling the story, all right? I'm not criticizing any religion or denomination. I'm just telling the story. But my dad had been raised. Um, as a child, he was... He was he was brought up to be very loyal and faithful to their local Baptist church in small town of Dana, Indiana. My mom, on the other hand, um, attended the Catholic church in Clinton, Indiana, and um, my mom and dad met. I won't go through all that story, and and, and, and got married, and, and my older brother was born, and, and and then as an infant, he was diagnosed with spinal meningitis, and and he's at the hospital, and the doctors are just not giving him much hope and not giving my parents much hope. And my mom and dad were not practicing their religion at all, all right? I, I, so I said they, they were raised somewhat devout to their faith as kids, but as adults, they were not practicing their religion at all, either of them. And, and, and just really didn't think about God much. and, and uh, But now they've got their firstborn hanging between life and death. And the doctors are not giving them much hope that they can do anything for the baby. And in absolute desperation, and I found this out years later, in absolute desperation, My mom and dad fell to their knees and said, God, if you can hear us, if you would just heal our baby, we'll serve you, we'll live for you. If you'll just let that baby live. Now, I'm going to tell you, God heard that prayer. And God touched my brother. And miraculously, my brother got better and they released him from the hospital. And my mom and dad were grateful but it didn't take long for them to forget about the promise that they'd made in desperation. And so, they're right back to their happy-go-lucky lives. Um, at some point along the way, and this also is important to the story, at some point along the way, my grandmother my mom's mom uh my my grandfather had left her she was in dire straits and ended up moving in with my parents and uh she ended up living with my parents my family until the day she died and that's important to the story and i just saw what time it is so i really got to hurry up here um but but she moved in there with my parents and and so you know things uh, my parents now they've got they've got my older brother, they've got my grandmother there and and it looks like things are going to be okay and um, then then I was born and and then you know mom and dad seem to be doing okay and uh, then Korean War is raging and my dad who had already spent, a couple of years in the Air Force was called back into active duty and had to go back. And so here's my mom with two young kids, and my grandmother there that she's having to take care of, and my dad on an airman's wages, which is not much, and he's got to take care of himself and a family back home and So it was very unusual then. We're now into the early 1960s, but it was still very, very unusual then for a woman to work outside the home. But my mom didn't have any choice, and so she had to go get a job. Thankfully, my grandmother was there, so we had to live in childcare. You know, it didn't cost us anything. And so Grandma was there, and I can promise you, we kids loved every minute of that. There's a big difference between grandma and mom. Um, it's like I heard a man say one time, that his kids were bragging on what a wonderful woman his mother was. And said, he looked at them and said, he said, I want to tell you kids, that's not the same woman that raised me. This is an old woman who's trying to get into heaven. My, my grandmother raised us and so mom is working a job she's trying to take care of us while my dad's off fighting for our country and and uh, thankfully the, the war ended about two years into that uh, tour of duty and he was able to be honorably discharged and come back home and then it took him some time to get back on his feet and and he finally found a good job and you know mom um, was was pretty comfortable in working that job and grandma was taking care of the kids and so she just kept working. Well, with two incomes in the 1960s, we started living fairly comfortably and didn't take long until we got a nice little house and uh, started buying a new car every year, and things are going good for the Riggin family, you know, and and uh, things are going fairly well. And, and one day we, um, well, well, before I, before I go too far into that, I'm about to get way ahead of myself. One of the things that happened, I, I want to tell you, This is where, in in all of this, I'm telling you, God never forgot that promise my parents made. I'm convinced that from the moment my parents prayed that prayer, God's eyes were on our family. And God was determined. You made me a promise. And I'm not going to let you go. And, 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 and listen, this is one of those things that I had not even told my wife until last night. And it's one of those things that sounds so strange. But it's the absolute truth. Now, my mom and dad did not take us to church. We didn't go to church. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I will tell you there was something in me that I was hungry for God. I was interested in God. They didn't teach us about God. They didn't didn't run God down. They weren't against God and the church, but they just didn't teach us about it. But back then in the 1960s, on Sundays, all the television programming was religious. That's all you could see on Sundays on TV. And so I couldn't wait for those Sunday mornings and try to learn whatever the Lutherans had on that day or the Baptists or whatever. I'd try try to glean something. I was so hungry to learn something about God. And most of it was just, and again, not throwing stones at anybody, but most of it wasn't real Bible lessons. It was more about morality and just doing right by your brother. And you understand? So it wasn't real learning scripture or anything. And that's what makes this so amazing. One night, it must have been Christmas time, and I'd forgotten about this and, and had never told anybody until this week and had never told my wife until last night but one night must have been around christmas time i i remember i was probably 5 or 6 years old i had a dream and i'm telling you church i remember it so clear here i was a 6 year old boy or whatever it was walking up to a manger and looking into that manger and seeing a baby and knowing it was baby jesus which wouldn't mean i mean it's christmas time so that But as I stood there and looked at this baby, knowing in my mind, this is baby Jesus, and he's very much alive and kicking and cooing and whatever. But as I'm standing there looking at him, before my eyes, this baby began to change. And all of a sudden, it wasn't a baby in that manger. It was a lamb. Now, I didn't understand for many years that he was the lamb of God. But I'm going to tell you, as a six-year-old boy not knowing anything at all about God, I believe God was already trying to plant something in my heart. God saw a hunger in me, and God was reaching for me. He was reaching for me. So at some point then, after that, we we went and bought a brand-new house out in the country, and, I mean, things are going good. Things are going good for us, and... And uh, we get out there, and and, um, I get invited to an aunt's house, um, who they're still, this was one of my dad's sisters, and they're still very involved in that church. My dad was raised in it. And I get out there, it just happens to be the week of vacation Bible school. And I, I was so excited that I got to go to vacation Bible school. I'd not ever been to church in my life. And, and I was getting to go to vacation Bible school. To me, I'm going to church for a week. And I'm going to learn about Jesus. I don't know anything about him, but I want to know. And I'm telling you, Brother Goff, I remember, I still remember the craft we worked on that week. I remember they gave us a bar of soap and a piece of felt, brown piece, black piece of felt, to wrap around that bar of soap and a gold piece of felt to come around the edges. And then we took a little sequins and formed a cross on the front of it. And that little bar of soap was a little Bible. And that was so precious to me because I didn't own a Bible. But that spoke to me of something that was God's. And as a child, that was precious and you know, th- th- it amazed me, Brother Self. I re- as I was writing all this, I started remembering a song they taught me in vacation Bible school. I couldn't have been more than nine years old. And I remember them singing, I'm the resurrection, and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never, never die. I, I can't believe that 50 plus years later, A song I learned in a vacation Bible school is still lodged in my memory, but I didn't even know what that meant. But I knew it was about Jesus, and that meant something. I got to hurry up. So, look, things are going well until one day, one day my dad comes home from work early and mom says, what's wrong? He said, I don't know, but I'm in serious pain. He goes to the doctor. To make a long story short, there's a disc in his back completely gone. They said, we don't know what's happened. It looks like it's never been there. I mean, there's no sign of it. It doesn't look ruptured. It's just not there. And, and they said, we're going to have to do surgery. Now, today, you know, back surgeries can be fairly successful. They still are kind of iffy, but, but back then, now we're in the, the late 60s, and to make a long story short, he went through three of them and never was successful. But one thing that was a success during that time, I remember sitting in a waiting room, and I was there while my dad was going through this surgery, and I'm sitting in a waiting room, and some older man... Walked by and he looked at me and he said, Here, son, would you like this? And he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a little red book, very small book, and it was selected verses from the book of John. And and I looked at that as if he was handing me a bar of gold. Because this really did have Bible verses in it. This was the closest thing to a real Bible I'd ever had. Oh, you talk about valuable. I was so thankful to get that. It meant so much to me. Well, again, dad's surgeries didn't work and he had to take early retirement and live on a fraction of his wages. My grandmother started having major heart problems and so now my mom's got to quit her job and she's got to take care of dad and grandma and so now all of a sudden we've gone from two incomes to half an income, and this new house, we're not able to make the payments, and the new car has gotten repossessed, and we're driving a borrowed Studebaker. Yes, they did make them, and um, that was an old car back then, and uh, and that's all we had and somebody let us borrow it and that was all we had to drive and I still remember the bill collectors knocking on our door and the family hiding because we didn't have answers for them. I remember having to live on welfare and back then it was food stamps. I remember how good that government cheese and government peanut butter some of you don't even know what that's about but I know what that's about. That's what we lived on. My family had nothing. We went from being very well off to having absolute absolutely nothing. We dropped to the bottom of the barrel. But it's because God had never forgotten about a promise. Oh, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. And so we're in desperation. We've got nothing. We're losing everything we've got. They're going to foreclose on the house. We've got nowhere to go. And my mom, finally, in embarrassment, she picks up the phone and she called a brother of hers who was living in Texas. He didn't have much. And she she told him, she said, I don't know what we're going to do. And he said, Audrey, he said, I don't have anything really. But he said, if there's any way you can just get a few things together and get to Texas, we'll do something. We'll help you get on your feet, just get here somehow. And so we've found a way to get a little U-Haul trailer and hooked it on the back end of that borrowed Studebaker. And we took off from Indiana and drove halfway across the continental U.S. and landed in a little North Texas town of less than 800 people. And and here we are. uh, We we moved into literally a run-down shack, falling apart. Uh, Back then, they used to talk about on the wrong side of the tracks. That's where we lived. It, it was it was it it was where the poor folks were the poor people called us poor all right um, I mean it, it was it was bad all right I'm just telling you 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 look at where I am now and think that I don't know anything about poverty I promise you I do and I, I've been there and I've struggled and I remember Christmases hearing my mom and dad whispering behind our backs, trying to figure out who they could borrow money from so they could buy one or two trinkets so that when we kids got up Christmas morning, there was something underneath the tree for us. I know what that's all about. I know what it's all about. Now, I forgot a very important part of this story in my rush. Way back before we ever moved to that house in the country. Way back to that point. All right, everybody with me? Because this is very important. Way back to that house before we moved, when we bought a house, before we moved to the house in the country. One of my cousins by the name of Michael, his mom, my, my mom's sister, she ran into some family problems and Michael had to move in with us. Now, he was... He was considerably older than me, probably about 10 years older than me, I guess. Um, And uh, he had to move in with us. And one one day, a man came knocking on our door. I don't know how I forgot this part of the story. But a man came knocking on our door, and he told my dad, he said, I run a Sunday school bus. And he said, I see that you've got some boys running around here. He said, do you think your boys would like to ride a Sunday school bus? Now, I was too young back then. But Michael and my older brother got on that United Pentecostal Church Sunday school bus and started going to a oneness Jesus' name church as children. I'm telling you, God was remembering a promise. Now, my older brother still pretty young. He didn't understand a lot of what he was hearing there, but Michael was old enough. And one Sunday morning, Michael didn't come home on the bus. The pastor brought him home. And the thing about it was, Michael, my dad had bought him a brand new suit to wear to church that day. And Michael's standing on the front porch. The pastor's standing there with him. And Michael is dripping wet. I'm talking about in this new suit. And the pastor's got a big smile on his face. And he said, He said, Mr. Riggins, I just want to tell you that today Michael repented of his sins and we baptized him in Jesus' name. And and my dad said, in that suit? (laughs) Yes, sir. Well, I can't say the words my dad said. But my dad cussed that preacher and told him, don't you ever set foot on my property again and my boys will never be back to your church. So that's an important part of the story. So all of this happens. We lose every. We, we buy the new house. Move the country. Buy the new house. We lose everything when we get there. We move to Texas. We're at the bottom. We finally family helps us. We're doing what we can. My dad can't work. He can't do anything. Um, my mom. My grandma's still not doing very well. and It's just a bad situation, heart. Right? It's a bad situation. But slowly, people are trying to help us. And slowly, we're able to get out of that old shack. And we get, you know, a fairly decent little house to live in. And, 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 and we get there. And one day, Michael shows up. He had gone back to live with his mom. And they'd end up moving to another town in Texas. And they came by to visit us one day. And he shows up. And it's a Wednesday and, and he's there at the house with us and, and late in the afternoon he looks at me and he said, hey, he said, um, I know where there's a church not too far from here. He said, uh, would you like to go to church with me tonight? Now you got to understand how much, how hungry I was to know about God. I was 11 years old at this time. And I know I've cut a lot of this out because I'm not even following my notes. But, but, but I, I was so hungry. And I said, yeah, I want to go. And it just so happened, this little house that we'd been able to rent was just a few blocks from this oneness church. And so my little brother and I went with Michael to church that night. Now, it was a tiny little building, wooden floors, wood slat pews, no cushion, no air conditioning. Um, maybe 15 people in the congregation that night. And, and, and look, I'd, I'd been to vacation Bible school. I forgot to tell you the one other time when we were living in the country, some of our neighbors invited us to a denominational church. I won't tell you what kind. That was another bad experience my dad had. We went one time, because our neighbors wouldn't leave us alone, went one time, and after that, every week, we started getting a reminder that we owed offerings to that church. So that didn't set well with my dad. So my dad hadn't had a whole lot of good experience with churches, all right? So that's kind of important, too. But, but anyhow, so that's my only two experiences, vacation Bible school and the one time at that very Formal, ritualistic service. That's my experience at church until I walk into this Pentecostal church at the age of 11. Fifteen people there. It doesn't look like the other churches I've been to. And it doesn't feel like the other churches I've been to either. There's something different here. And they're acting different. And I don't know what's going on and I don't understand it. But Michael did. I don't know what the preacher preached. I don't know what anybody sang, but I do know. When the altar call came, Michael got up and made his way to the altar. I didn't know what he was doing. My little brother didn't know what he was doing. We just thought this is what we're supposed to do, so we went with him. We knelt beside him. I didn't know what prayer was about. I'm just trying to watch him, see what he's doing. I'm trying to do whatever he's doing, but he's sincerely praying and repenting. And eventually the pastor comes over and lays hands on him. And Michael raised his hands. And the Holy Ghost fell on him. And Michael fell over on his back and started speaking in tongues as the Holy Ghost filled his heart that day. Now I'm telling you, I'm a wide-eyed 11-year-old. I don't understand any of this. But I'm loving every second of it. We go home, and Michael's mom's there ready to pick him up, and she takes him home, and I'm sitting there. I'm still astounded at what I've just experienced, and, and the family's sitting there, and I look at Dad, and I said, Dad, you'll never believe what happened in church tonight. He said, what? I said, Michael got happy and fell in the floor. My dad said, that's stupid. He said, you don't act that way when you go to church. I didn't know how dad knew how you're supposed to act when you go to church. But back then, you didn't say those things to your dad. It was a different world back in those days. I I like to say we had time out back then. It was a lot different. He wasn't playing with Xbox. If there was any boxing going on, dad was doing it. And we were the ones that were out. So you didn't say those things. You think them, but you don't say them. And and dad realized then, this is the same kind of church Michael had been involved with back in Indiana. And dad looked at me and he said, son, I want to tell you now, I don't want you involved with those people. He said, in fact, I would rather you not go to church than get involved with those crazy Pentecostals. And I was heartbroken. And I said, dad, are you telling me I can't go back? And he looked at me, and said, son, I'm not saying you can't but I don't want you to. I said, but dad, I really want to. I won't if you're telling me I can't. But I really want to. And he said, well, I won't stop you, but I want you to know how I feel about it. I said, okay. Well, I'm going to tell you something, church. I loved what I felt. I couldn't keep away from there. And it was close enough. And it was out in the country. Things were different back then. 11-year-old boy, nobody thought anything about it. I could just walk to church. I'd walk there by myself. It was no big deal. I didn't care if nobody went. If I could talk my little brother into going with me, fine. My, my older brother, you know, he's he's not interested. He's hitting that, you know, he's in his... Early teens, he's not interested in church and God and all that. He's got other things on his mind. And, and, but but my, my younger brother, I could get him to do some things. and So I'd get him to go with me once in a while. And, and, and I would just make my way to church. And, and, and I'd go. And I'm telling you, those people, they, they loved me and they cared about me. And here I was, a poor little boy. I didn't have anything. I couldn't put any money in the offering. I didn't have anything to give. I didn't have anything to offer, but they cared, Brother Goff. And if it was raining, they'd come get me, and they'd make sure I was in church. They'd check on me, and they'd stop by to visit. And they cared about what was going on in the life of this little 11-year-old boy. And they started teaching me, and they started telling me things, and they started telling me I needed the Holy Ghost, and I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. Have you got just a few more minutes? And uh, I started seeking the Holy Ghost. I started going to the altar, and I heard others talking about wearing out the saints, I'm telling you. Of course, again, there was so much I didn't even understand, but I knew I wanted it. I knew I wanted it. I knew I wanted it. And so I would be in the altar every service. Every service I was in the altar. God, please give me the Holy Ghost. And I'd pray with everything I've got. Oh, I want the Holy Ghost. And they'd pray with me. And they were faithful to just stay right there. I mean, they would stay with me until the very last minute. I'd be so tired. I didn't even feel like I could stand up. And they were still there praying. They didn't give up. They didn't give up. They just kept praying. They kept praying. Finally, one day, the pastor came to me, and he said, look, son, he said, you know, he said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, and maybe, he said, some people get the Holy Ghost when they get baptized. Maybe maybe if you'll get baptized, and and so I I said, okay, okay, that sounds good, so I went home, and I asked my dad, dad, can I get baptized? I, I didn't know about that story with Michael, and I, so I just i said dad can i get baptized and dad looked at me and said no absolutely not and again i was heartbroken so i went back and told the pastor i said dad said no so i just kept seeking the holy ghost kept seeking the holy ghost this went on i got to try i got to try to make this short it it just it kept on it kept on it kept on and 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 <sighs> Months passed, and, 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 and by this time I've turned 12, and, and the pastor comes to me again. He said, look, son, you, you really need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I said, I know. but My dad told me no. And, and he said, why don't you talk to him again? I said, okay, okay. So I thought, I've got a different strategy this time. I'll ask mom. So I went home, and I waited till Mom's off by herself. And I said, Mom, Mom, I, I really want to be baptized. Do you care? She said, Well, no, I don't care. And then she looked at me. She said, But you've got to ask your dad. I said, Well, look, w- would you ask him? She said, Okay. So she called him into the room, and the three of us sat down, and she told him. And he looked at me and he said, son, is this really what you want? And I said, dad, more than anything. And he got this look and he said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to call that preacher. And I'm going to tell him if he can show me in my Bible that you need to be baptized in Jesus name, then I'll let you. And I smiled and I said, call him dad. call him, call him. (laughs) I knew he could do it. I'd heard him do it. I knew, I knew he could do it. And so dad made the call. I'll never forget. I'm telling you, I can still see the image in my mind of that day when the preacher came in and the whole family sitting around the living room. It's both my brothers, my mom, my dad, my grandma. We were all sitting there. And and I'm telling you, I didn't even know we had that many Bibles in the home. But everybody had a Bible sitting on the table in front of us that day. And and the preacher walked in. He opened his Bible. He started reading Mark. 16, 16, John 3 and 5 Acts 2, 38, I don't know, he went through every scripture that, and, and, and he went through it and when he got through, my dad's just sitting there looking at his Bible and when he got through he looked up at me and he said I, I can't argue it's there and he asked me again, he said, are you sure this is what you want I said, yes dad it really is He said, all right, then I'm not going to stop you. That Wednesday night, they said, we're going to baptize you in Jesus' name. Mom and dad and grandma and both brothers and my aunt, Michael's mom, all came to see me get baptized that night. I was so thankful. Now, none of them made a move, but I was thankful. They were all in church that night to see me get baptized in Jesus' name. I didn't get the Holy Ghost then. I didn't get the Holy Ghost then, but they were all there. I wish that I had time to tell you everything else. Let me see if I can abbreviate it a little bit. I did obviously eventually get the Holy Ghost. And, 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 and then things began to really start happening. Uh, my grandmother got bad. Her heart was way enlarged and, and I told my mom, I said, the church is praying for grandma. We're having prayer for grandma. We're believing God's going to touch her. The doctors had given up on grandma and, and then all of a sudden something happened and grandma's enlarged heart just went right back down to its normal size and they released her from the hospital and my mom was blown away and mom ended up coming to church with me that next night and, and i watched her she walked on the porch of the church and tears were streaming down her cheeks and i said mom what's the matter she said i don't know i just feel something she walked in and you can imagine my amazement when the pastor said are there any testimonies and here's my mom here she is maybe her second time third time in church and she stands up to testify and she said i'm not a member here but i just want to say thank you to all of you church people for praying for my mom i know she's alive today because you prayed for her and god heard your prayer and god healed my mom because you prayed for her now that's important too, that's important too. and so and so I kept working on, kept working on. finally got my brother, he got to come with me regular, God filled him with the Holy Ghost, amen, and he got baptized in Jesus name. my younger brother' so thankful for that, and, and then and then and then and then and then. And then. Then, then the night came, a Wednesday night. I talked my mom and dad into both being in church with me on a Wednesday night. Now, what I didn't know and didn't find out until later is just before church on that Wednesday night, mom had slipped off into the bedroom, and she'd gotten down beside her bed, and she prayed a prayer. She told us this later. She said, I prayed and said, God, I don't know about what's going on at this church where my boy's going. But if this is really real, and if this is where you want me, I want you to show me something tonight. I want you to give me some kind of sign tonight in the service. And if you'll do that, then I'll know it's real. Hang on, church. So mom and dad come to church. They're not sitting there very long. Remember, these are hard pews. Hardwood, no cushion. Remember, my dad's had three back surgeries, All right, So they're sitting there on these hardwood pews. They're not there very long. My dad's squirming. He can't hardly stand it. He's in so much pain. Finally leans over to my mom and he said, I can't stay here any longer. I gotta go. I can't take the pain. And mom knew what she'd prayed. And she wanted to give God time to answer. So she wasn't about to just get up and walk out. So she leaned up and tapped the man on the shoulder that was sitting in front of him. Now he's about 6'4 probably. He's got hands on him like, I don't even know what. This is the absolute, I'm not exaggerating, 15 and a half triple A shoes. That's the truth. That's the truth. This was a big man. And it just so turned out, he was a preacher. Now, she tapped him on the shoulder and said, sir, would you mind praying for my husband? Asking a preacher to pray for a sinner is like saying sicum to a dog. <laughs> and look, that meant my dad and I. I often tell you when you've seen me, you've seen my father. He's built like me, so you know. And here's this guy. My dad didn't stand a chance. When Brother Stovall turned around and grabbed my dad by the hand and pulled him out of that pew, dad didn't have a chance. And Brother Stovall led him right down to the front. He wasn't going to pray for him there. He led him down to the altar. And he and the pastor anointed my dad with oil. And I'm here to tell you the truth. The Holy Ghost fell. And my dad fell on his back in the floor and started talking in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And my mom said, that's all I need to see. If that man that's fought against it all these years can get it, it's got to be real. That's all I needed to know. Now She didn't get the Holy Ghost that night. She did get the Holy Ghost later. And I wish I could tell you the funny story, but she'd she'd be embarrassed because my mom was always very proper. She sought the Holy Ghost for a while before she got it. We used to have this—I don't know what they called—a modesty panel or railing that went across the front of the church. And my mom prayed and prayed, could never get the Holy Ghost. And one night, she just felt like, "Well, this is what I need to do." She she climbed up on top of the altar, and then on top of that rail. And here's my mom standing on the top of that rail with her hands lifted, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She starts talking in tongues. Hallelujah, Amen, Amen. So, so here's what. Now, my grandma, my grandma, you know, she's 77 at this time, I think, and 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 she's not, you know, she's lived a rough life. And grandma, she could out cuss any man, and um, she was she, she was quite the case. I'm just telling you, she was quite the case, and uh, she she wasn't quite on board with. Everything we were doing at that moment, but she went back into the hospital and nearly died. In fact, the doctors gave up on her again, told my mom, said, Call the family in and tell them if they want to see her, they're going to have to come immediately. She's probably not even going to make it through the night. And, uh, but, and she was in a coma we found out later she told us she said I could hear everything that was being said and she said I was scared because I heard the doctor say I was dying that night and I knew I wasn't ready to meet God she said I couldn't say a word but in my mind I said God I'm not ready to meet you please don't let me die tonight she said if you'll just touch me one more time and let me get out of this hospital I'm going down to my grandson's church and I'm going to let them baptize me in Jesus name and I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost and I'm going to tell you God touched my grandmother again He raised her up out of that hospital bed. She came to church. She was baptized in Jesus' name. God filled her with the Holy Ghost at 77. About three months later, he took her home to be with him. Musicians come. I've 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 gotta quit. I've gotta quit. But, but but the last holdout was my older brother, and you know he 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 finally prayed through too and, and then there were cousins and then there were aunts and, and and that little church, that little church that was running 15 when I went there. I'm gonna tell you I'll never forget the Sunday morning, the Sunday morning when they got up and announced we used to have those old Sunday school boards. You remember those? I hate those things. I'd get so depressed over those Sunday schools of our those boards if the if the attendance was down even one I'd get I finally got it down and cursed it one day not not cussing cursed you understand that. close but I I didn't know um, but anyhow <laughs> anyhow we'd have, and and they came out and put the number on the board ninety nine and that preacher that had gotten my dad that day he said uh uh-uh. uh Uh nope we we ain't stopping with this he left the service got in his car drove around town until he found one more person that he could bring to service so we could have a hundred in service that day now that may not sound like a lot but this town had 756 population to have a hundred people in church in a town of 756 now look to put that in perspective If it was 800 population and we had 100 in church, that's one-eighth of the population. The population of Olathe right now is just about 140,000. One-eighth of that would be 17,500. So that gives you a perspective for us to hit 100 in that little church. And it started with 15 and one little boy receiving the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you from there, we built a brand new church out on the highway. God sent revival listen to me church listen to me here's the whole thing God was looking I know it was just a little boy and that church didn't understand when they were investing in a little boy but God wasn't just bringing salvation to a little boy salvation had come to my house salvation had come to my house and I'm here to tell somebody today why don't you quit waiting around God's been trying to reach for you because he's got others that he wants to bring in. God's got others that you're going to lead to him. God's working on people around you. Hey, mama, don't give up. Don't lose hope. God didn't save you for your children to be lost. Hey, grandparents, don't give up hope. God didn't save you for your grandkids to go out into eternity. God still got your household in his eyesight. God's still looking at your family. Oh, let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord.